Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me that I was bipolar. I was released with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for about a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using music for therapy and as a way to escape. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Many people in the punk scene do mental health advocacy work, either within their community or in the outside world. Rosie Richardson is the screamer of Tallahassee, Florida hardcore punk band Night Witch. Rosie has been very generous helping others who are struggling. She spent the last two and a half years trying to open a health center in punk venue, but she burned herself out and recently started counseling for herself. Rosie is known for speaking up on stage between her band's songs about how mental health is stigmatized, how these are such important topics to be discussing. But she has another reason to speak out. She wants to challenge sexual predators in the punk scene. Members of the crowd, greasy band members who are harbored by other greasy band members, and punks that don't want to admit their bros could be creeps. My small town punk scene was ripped apart by a creep who raped our friend. Some people took his side, blaming the victim, or as I call them, a survivor. Most of us did everything we could to out him as a sexual predator. In Night Witch, Rosie opened these kinds of conversations. She says not speaking up is akin to enabling. I agree with her, 100%. So my name is Rosie Richardson. I am in the band Night Witch, and I do vocals and write most of the lyrics for that band as well. My background in mental health work is I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in social work with a focus on public policy. In my spare time, I tried to run a community mental health resource in Tallahassee, Florida, where I live where we were trying to combine our love for DIY music and gain access for people's mental health. And we spent about two and a half years trying to make the outlet happen here in Tallahassee. And beyond that, I try to be a resource for my friends who are struggling with mental illness and also have started my own mental health journey by starting therapy for the first time this year. (laughs) And finally addressing my issues with anxiety and body image and things like that. We talked a little bit about the idea of putting others in front of yourself. And it sounds like with your advocacy work and the things you've done, and you mentioned not seeking therapy until recently. Yeah. (laughs) How has that been in your life, putting other folks in front of yourself? Well, I think that it has its roots in a lot of different places for me. I definitely come from a privileged background. My parents supported me through college, which gave me free time to actually be able to start that mental health community organization. And I think I've just always been a helper. (laughs) And when doing that mental health advocacy work, I was met with a lot of people who had a lot of different struggles and backgrounds and always framed it as a thing that 
I don't need therapy. There are people who are going through worse things than me. So I'm taking up someone's space if I go to therapy. So I don't need it. I'm not going through anything as bad as this person or as bad as other things that I've heard. So I used my advocacy work almost as an excuse not to take care of myself for a very long time. And of course, that bit me in the butt (laughs) Um, when things just came to a head and I experienced burnout from being that mental health advocate in my community, in my group of friends, I experienced burnout pretty hard and took a step back from being that person for a while. And then, um, yeah, finally got my shit together and did a very stereotypical, oh, it's the new year, I'm going to start therapy. So I started this year (laughs) and have been going pretty consistently. And it's really, really nice. You've, I'm assuming, been into punk for quite a while. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Were you able to apply the punk rock ideology to these projects? Yeah. So the idea was we wanted to open up the outlet A community mental health resource center by day and a punk venue by night. (laughs) And the money from the shows, general grants, would go into like partially obviously paying any touring bands, but also paying to run the space and make it happen. And the idea behind that was we wanted to destigmatize anyone, especially within the music community, you know, reaching out for mental health resources is okay. Look, you're at a familiar location, you're at a punk venue. And so you're not going into a scary doctor's office or something like that. And also seeing that music for so many people is a source for helping get through your mental illness. So also people who might not be into music, connect them with the local scene here. It was a beautiful idea (laughs) inspired by a space in Athens, Georgia called Nucci's Space. And it was very, very hard to do punk community prides itself on being alternative and prides itself on being out of the norm and accepting of different types of lifestyles and things. This thing, mental health issues and mental illness is still so stigmatized, even within these alternative communities that are supposedly accepting, you know? So it was a combination of a lot of different reasons why the outlet just couldn't get off the ground. Um, I think that stigma had a really big factor in this project, not really getting off the ground. But we did try and we raised money through like punk shows and we made a zine that outlined everybody's lyrics, what those lyrics meant to them. And we did try to open up the conversation. Have punks been improving on stigmatization around folks with mental health issues? I I don't know. I think it might be a little bit of a mixed response there because I think that punk, again, as people who pride themselves on being alternative and all this other stuff, there's still like mainstream ideas that leak into people who are a part of the punk community, you know? And it takes real work for you to do as an individual and then for us to do as a community in order to see like real change. You have to look within yourself and see where your biases lie. How do you feel about people with mental health issues? How do you feel about your own mental health issues? And so breaking that down takes work in and of itself of just doing you and then seeing how the community isn't supported. So even if everyone is very accepting of people with mental health issues or things like that, 
if we don't have the community resources in order to help the folks that need help or a center that is more welcoming to people who might not want to go to therapy like in a traditional sense or things like that. To answer your question, I think that some of it has, but we still have a really long way to go as far as breaking down that stigma. Let's back up a little bit and talk about your involvement in the punk rock scene. Can you tell me about how you got into it and how you've changed with it through the years? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I got into punk through my older sister, Lily, um, who's in a really good band in Olympia, Washington called Bad Sleep and also performs under the solo artist Squill, not to plug, but shameless plug. Anyway, she, you know, traditional older sister type stuff, gave me a mix CD and also showed me the band Blink-182. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, nope. And, you know, uh, oh yeah, it's a cool band. But yeah, she is the one that kind of guided me into this world. And so yeah, she started playing acoustic guitar solo stuff. And then I got really into wanting to play drums. (laughs) And so she was like, yeah, do that. And encouraged my mom to like buy me a drum set. And I started going to more shows at this all ages venue. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. It just in the scene for a long time as just a kid going to shows. And then I moved to Tallahassee to go to college and um, have been here for 11 years now. But I got into booking shows again, uh, just through someone hitting me up. I heard you moved to Tallahassee. Can you set up a show for me? You know, and yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And Night Witch, you're a screamer. Wondering how that feels. Oh, it feels amazing. And I'm sure you know. (laughs) I played drums in most of the bands I was in. Nightwitch is the first band that I've done like main vocals on. I sang in drum in a band called Mystery Date with my friend Bella. But I think I just kept seeing hardcore music live and seeing how amazing it felt to the lead singers and how like cathartic it was. And I don't know, there were a ton of different bands that contributed to me wanting to like scream (laughs) and also a lot of contributing factors into people supporting me. Oh, Rosie, you should front a band. You know, my friend Shaw, who was the guitarist in Nightwitch for a long time, he saw me do like a cover or something of a Freddie Mercury song. (laughs) And (laughs) he was like, oh, you need to front a band. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I think that screaming it it's like nothing else honestly I love it and it feels wonderful to do with your friends after a long day really anytime (laughs) it's good I talk a lot about being a weirdo and a freak and an outcast Mm -hmm. in a good way yeah and how punk rock welcomes those kinds of folks has that been your experience yeah I think that on the surface punk is the place for kids who feel a little bit left out in the traditional sense and might not have a community in their town or in their school or whatever. And definitely, I think that it's something that's a really wonderful community at times. (laughs) And at other times, every community has its issues, you know? When I think of the best parts of punk and the weirdest parts of punk, 
I do feel and like reflect on that acceptance and that joy that comes with being part of a community and finally feeling accepted, you know? Yeah. And you digged into some of the more negative aspects. Ah, you know. (laughs) Sexual predators in the scene and really pointed, productive messages. Yeah. And I mean, I I do really like punk, I promise, as much as I do criticize it. I just try not to put things on pedestals and say like, oh, punk's the greatest thing for every person and everyone should listen to music. That's this genre. Because you can feel that sense of community and joy and happiness and belongingness in other communities that maybe don't even have anything to do with music. (laughs) Our draw is that we liked the loud, thrashy music and hey, there was a whole community around that who would accept you. So I do really like punk, I promise. (laughs) But yeah, I think that this might be a lot of people's experience that you go in maybe as a younger person with wide eyed and like, oh, it's so nice to be around all the people that listen to the same music as me and are like the weirdos and the freaks and the outcasts. And then you experience something that sucks. (laughs) And you're like, wait, that shouldn't happen here. Wait, this is punk. Why is that happening here? I thought we were different. And then the longer you're in it, you realize that the stuff that permeates our society, racism, sexism, sexual assault, transphobia, all that stuff that we are against as a community, it still is there. And just because kids are wearing like studs and shit doesn't mean that they're gonna fully accept me as a person or that I know I can be safe around them, you know? So yeah, there are definitely issues within like punk and DIY. And I think my first unfortunate experience with that was in Tallahassee at a show during, this is really full circle if you think about it, during a Blink-182 cover band. (laughs) I was fucking stoked for it, right? And I got groped during a set. And I looked at the person and I was like, the fuck? And I punched him. And I went looking for him after the set. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And no one really helped me. (laughs) You know, I was like, this dude just grabbed me, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, no one really helped me find whoever this person was. And then you know, I shared my experience with my bandmates at the time, um, one of whom was Shaw, who was the guitarist in Nightwitch. Um, we were in a different band called For the Hell of It. And he actually like wrote a song for me. <laughs> I wasn't writing lyrics at the time. And he wrote a song for me. And he's not the kind of person to really like speak about what his songs are about. But every time we played that, he was like, this is what this song is about. He even was like, Rosie, do you want to talk about this song? And I was like, okay. And I wrote out what I wanted to say on my phone. So I finally told my story. I was groped at a venue we all love during an event we all love. And people came up to me afterwards and were like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but you should just kind of expect to get groped. You're a girl at a show. That's just what happens to girls. Come on. And I was like, wait, what? You know, a fucking like 20 year old just being like, wait, what? That's just one incident that happened, right? There were plenty of other incidents that contributed to the way I like viewed punk. I've definitely spoken out on it. And because of that, a lot of people and because of my background in mental health, a lot of people have come to me to kind of resolve specific issues with specific people 
And again, because I do have legitimate background in conflict resolution and like how to potentially like mediate a conversation. So I have participated in doing that with certain individual cases. And that is a very big contributor to why I experienced burnout in such a big way in Tallahassee specifically. I was one of the only people speaking about issues when actually on stage being outspoken about these things. So then people just started coming to me and telling me their stories about this person did this thing. What do we do? Can you please help me? That kind of stuff. So yeah, I've been involved in like mediation, essentially, for a few different instances. I... I'm proud of contributing that to those people, but I'm not necessarily extremely qualified to do that. And what I think it should be is a community effort. Punk rock is known as being a safer space. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks take refuge in the punk scene, but having these elements, and we all know that they exist. I mean, we're not trying to say punk is a utopia, Yeah. but... It is a very special and important place for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how you feel about how that actually affects the punk scene, having someone in the punk scene or lots of people potentially that are causing harm, abusing people. I mean, it takes away that sense of community and joy that you might feel when you're first. And, you know, you still feel that sense of community and joy. I hope so anyway, even if it's your 10 millionth show, you know. But I think that having those people prominent in your scene and held up on pedestals in your scene can be really damaging and really unwelcoming to people and dangerous. Anybody who assaults a person or abuses a person has potential to do it again, especially if they don't learn that they have caused harm to people. So keeping these people in the scene, you're not only upholding the status quo that is in, I hate saying like mainstream society, but it is true. Uh, You're not upholding that horrible status quo, but you're also potentially causing harm to other people by keeping these folks in the scene. How do you think punk rock is supportive of folks with mental health issues? I think that people who do choose to talk about their experience with mental illness or people who choose to wear their stuff on their sleeve. I don't see a lot of judgment in that aspect. Like, oh, they're dealing with depression. Weird. You know, like (laughs) a lot of good songs were written by people with depression. And within the punk community, mental illness, people having mental illness That's not necessarily stigmatized. Where I think the stigma lies is when people are struggling to find help, either not wanting to really, quote unquote, get involved or not knowing where to go because some places just don't have resources. Some towns are small and only have therapists that are based in like religion, which is fine and works for some people, but doesn't work for everyone, you know? Or some places only have the 12-step program, which, again, it works for a lot of people, but isn't as effective for some other folks, you know, who have maybe tried that and not been able to get through it. Acceptance is good, from my perspective anyway. I could have a totally warped perspective here. But I think that acceptance of mental health issues is 
great in punk because a lot of songs are about struggling with mental health. I think where the struggle is and are still looking for, this isn't just within punk, it's kind of like in like greater society too, actually finding help and like talking with people about shit and not getting tired of people who are struggling with mental health issues like, oh, you're dealing with this again, like you're not over your depression yet, you know, that kind of stuff. Why have you stayed with the punk rock scene? Why have I stayed? I mean, that feeling I keep talking about, sense of community, it's still there. I still feel it a lot. (laughs) I would give nothing more than to just be at a house show with five people in attendance. It's really awkward and you don't really get paid from the door, but God, what I would give to be at a show right now. (laughs) You know, you want that sense of community back. So what I've always known and what I still derive lots of joy from and a lot of my friends are still also involved in it as well. And yeah, that's why I would say I'm still involved. And I like the music. It's all right. So Night Witch. Yeah. Have you had any reaction from people as far as because, you know, a pretty intense band. Yeah. And I'm assuming that if someone walked into a show, uh, whether they were just off the street and weren't into punk or whether they listened to more of the popular stuff, mm-hmm. would have a reaction of, whoa, what's this all about? Um, <laughs> what have you seen from people as far as reactions to the band? Oh, we get a wide variety of reactions. But I think the thing that's most consistent since I started the band, just something that's been wholly important to me in almost every band that I'm in, is talking about the songs. The first band I was in in Tallahassee with my friend Robert Carter, he talked about every single song that he wrote and what it was about. Anytime a band did that moving forward, I was like, whoa, that's sick. Thank you for talking. I loved when bands did that. So it was just natural to me to talk about what the songs were about. And it's not like there's a lot to interpret. My lyrics are pretty straightforward. You suck, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) is a lot of the thesis of a lot of the lyrics. But yeah, I think that when people do wander in off the street, The thing I consistently get is thank you so much for talking about that because I've had this experience with XYZ and then they just share their story with me. And usually it's a pretty intense story about some abuse or assault that happened to them. And whether I'm sharing my personal story on stage or just talking about, hey, don't uphold shitty men in the scene, you know, and do better to like support your community and the people in your life. So that's the thing that's just consistently happened. Randoms off the street or people who have been listening to us forever, they're all just thank you for sharing and talking about that stuff. Yeah, I think that is something that no matter if I do this in Night Witch or a different band, I'm always going to do because people doing that just shows that it still needs to be talked about. Even though I've said (laughs) fuck rapists and stop upholding cool guys in the scene just because they're cool guys if they assaulted someone fuck them i've said that speech a hundred billion trillion times and every single show someone's like thank you for saying that i've never heard someone talk about that or i'm experiencing this problem in my community or my friend group and that just shows people still need to talk about it and it's still an issue in our scene are you writing about mental health as well things like trauma yeah triggers yeah Definitely. I wrote a song a while ago about having a panic attack. I will say this. 
I'm not a great lyricist. I'm very upfront. I'm bad at metaphors, artistic lyrics. I can't do it. I'm just thing bad. Thing bad. Here's why. Thing bad. That's my <laughs> lyric structure. Yeah, hey, those are great lyrics. <laughs> and so, like, the only vaguely poetic lyrics I wrote were about one time I had a panic attack and I didn't really know what that was. <laughs> and so I attributed it to, I don't know if you've ever been, uh, like, stared out into the ocean at night <laughs> when there's no lights and it's just blackness and darkness and it kind of freaks you out a little bit. That's how I describe my panic attack. <laughs> and that's one song that I wrote about that I tried to be poetic and artsy about. But there are other songs too, where I did write about having anxiety and the whole idea of like, fake it till you make it. I wrote about that. The concept of performing wellness, this idea that we have to go through, and we, I mean, people with mental health issues Mm -hmm. have to go through life pretending like we're okay. And I think that can be really harmful. Yeah. And I would even say that bleeds into this idea of talking about stuff on stage and constantly opening up that wound, talking about it. Every time we played a show, a certain song, the song Lucky that we wrote, that was pretty explicitly about the time I was assaulted. I would share my story every single time we played it. And it just started bleeding into my life. And I was just getting triggered by the smallest things and having panic attacks around it. I would have to like take really long breaks after shows. And usually that's the song we play last, usually. And people usually come right up to me right after our shows, talk about their shit. And I just could not. I had to run away after one of our shows because I was just crying and like having a panic attack. So I just literally ran down the street, (laughs) you know, trying not to like interact with anyone and like act like I was fine. So I think that talking about your shit on stage is really, really, really important. Sharing your stories, maybe not necessarily on the stage all the time, but even just with your friends, with each other, sharing our stories is so important. But I also think that doing the work to like work through your trauma is obviously just as important. And if you're just constantly opening up the wounds of the trauma you experienced without really processing it privately and dealing with it, then it can really fuck you up. I mean, it did for me anyway. Where do you go when you play live? Some people talk about switching off or going into a different zone. (laughs) It's a combination of things. I think it varies based off of the song (laughs) that we're playing. The song I mentioned, Lucky, I try not to look at anyone and just kind of fall into myself. And that's a really big reason why we we stopped playing that song for a long time because I just couldn't handle it, because it really did open up a lot for me. But for a song, (laughs) and I do this on purpose, nobody's told me if it's cheesy or not, but I enjoy doing it. But for our song, Who's Next, it is largely about who's next in terms of who is going to be the next person to be outed to be an abuser or somebody who assaulted somebody, right? And the whole song is just who the fuck is next? Who's next, right? And so I make sure to unblinkingly make eye contact with every single person in the room (laughs) while just screaming. You know, the rest of the set is like pretty normal and I'm like jumping around, stuff like that. But I just go very still and I'm like, who's next? And I'm like yelling in people's faces and making really intense eye contact. Um, And I don't know if that 
is cheesy and really silly, but I enjoy doing it because I like the intensity that it brings and the importance behind the lyrics anyway of like, who is next? Is it you? I remember those eyes. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Remember being quite frightened though. Can you hit me with the chorus of who's next? Um, Who's next? You're all the same. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I thought I'd tell you a little bit more about myself. I was born in Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada. After my mental breakdown in 2018, I had to take a break because everything seemed impossible. I needed to focus on my recovery. I did my best to take care of my mental health while dealing with the intense mood episodes of bipolar. I'm really glad that this podcast has been a big part of my recovery, and I thank you for listening. Screen Therapy is now airing on college and community radio stations. They include my hometown radio station, CGMP, out of Powell River, CJSF 90.1 FM from Simon Fraser University, Radio Humber from Humber College in Toronto, Ontario, Radio Waterloo, CKMS from Waterloo, Ontario, and Kootenai Co-op Radio in Nelson, BC. You can connect with me at soundcloud.com screamtherapy. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care and be well.